thank you. Um, it's been quite a week. For those, that, those of you who maybe have not heard, if you're watching online, um, we lost our son this week. And um, he succumbed to a journey with addiction. Uh, we don't know exactly what was the cause of death um, in the immediate. Uh, the immediate uh, results were inconclusive. And uh, at the end of the day, his heart just stopped. And I appreciate you coming around us as a church. Um, I tell people about this church in concept. I tell people that this is a church that doesn't shoot its wounded. That we can confess our brokenness and our hurt. And what happens is that people wrap around us. If you're visiting with us today or if you're watching online, yes, you have discovered a very unusual church. There are churches that when leaders have struggles, divorce or broken relationships or the death of a child and particularly the, uh, a death that is at least in some way contributed to by addiction, that the church would say, I guess it's time for you to take a, a early retirement or to, to move on, but not this church. Not this church. So, thank you. Thanks for gathering around us. And yes, Judy and I are going to take a couple of weeks off to process and, and unpack stuff, but... Today, I just needed to be here with you. I just needed to be in this room. I needed to be in a place where we can try to make sense of tragedy because the Word addresses it. So today, we start a new series. And if you think I'm changing gears in a hurry, I'm really not. God laid this message, this series on my heart months and months ago. And it would be tempting for me to sort of step out of what God has told me to say and deal with grief and deal with loss and deal with uh, verses that tell us about heaven. But if God is who I think he is, and God laid on my heart months ago that this was the message that needed to be today. God knew what was going to happen on Wednesday morning. God knew what was going to be in my heart and in your heart. Some of you are dealing with grief or loss, a broken relationship, a, a job uncertainty, a lack of confidence about something, guilt, shame. And it's quite possible that, that this is what he wants us all to be in, this idea that there is hope on the horizon. A year or so ago, I told you that it was time for me to begin the process of stepping down and a new leader coming in to take this congregation to depths and, and heights and, and width that we can't possibly imagine. I still believe that's true. But part of what 
I felt then is that, that I was having trouble seeing over the horizon. What's, what's the next step for this great church? What's the next place that this, this incredible church needs to be? And I was, I was wondering what was over the horizon, right? And, and how, how long that would be. Well, this morning as I saw an incredible sunset, uh, sunrise, and I know that most of you probably don't get up that early. But I, I saw in the sunrise that there was hope over the horizon, that I was looking to the east and there was hope. And, and I, I prepared this message months ago. And I didn't know that I was going to need personally as a father to look at the horizon and know that there is a better thing coming for my son, for our family, for this church, for the community. Judy and I have kind of held on to a verse through the course of this week and and each time that we've had tragedy, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it has been a, a hope over the horizon that we have clung to. And, and when we think about this series, every, every August I try to do a vision series where we, we, we try bring in the focus a little bit. And we, we, we understand we do lots of things as a church. We have lots of groups that meet and, and we have lots of things that are going on. We're dropping watermelons off buildings these days. And so every now and then we have to sort of circle the wagons and say, why are we here? Why do we think God has put us on this little corner of Ashford, Dunwoody, and Mount Vernon? And so if you're new, you are hearing this early on. If you've been here a while, you can say it in your sleep. We exist to be passionately in love with Jesus. And we seek to be agents of transformation in our homes, our church, our community, and the world. How do we do that? We love God. We love people. We make disciples. We make a difference. And so today I want to talk about loving God. And I will tell you, I'll bury the lead and tell you from the outset that he has drawn me to himself. He, as a father who gave his own son, knows what it's like to lose a son. He is a father who draws the prodigal to himself. He has drawn me to himself as a prodigal son. And if I had any doubt in my mind, he told me in the car on my way to church this morning early, look to the east. There is hope over the horizon. So I know that in this great church, there is hope. The idea for this series came out of a story in 1 Kings and in 1 Kings 18, there's an incredible amount of stuff that's going on there. Please don't turn to it right now because you'll start reading this amazing story and stop listening to me. And it's me. But in this story, Elijah is a prophet who is one against 400 prophets of a pagan way of thinking. And they have this prophet off. And Elijah prevails, and God wins. And now in the aftermath, he is telling the king that now that God has prevailed, 
the drought that's been going on for three years will finally end. And so he says to his servant, go and look across probably the Mediterranean Sea. This is, uh, Carmel is not far from the Mediterranean. He says, go look on the horizon and tell me what you see. And the servant went and he came back and said, I didn't see anything. And he went another time, I didn't see anything. Six times he reported back, didn't see anything. And on the seventh time, Elijah said, what did you see? He saw He said, I saw a fist-sized cloud in the distance. That was the genesis for this series, that we would continue to look to the horizon for what God has for us until we see that place of promise. So to set the stage for the scripture that I want to go to today, Joshua chapter 1 is a good place to turn I know I only published one verse, but dream on. I, uh, I wanted to look at, at this incredible story where a group of people, the Israelites, have spent 40 years in frustration because they haven't heard from God about the hope that's on the horizon. They haven't learned how to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And for 40 years, they're learning these lessons. And finally, they are at the very edge of entering into what's called the promised land, a a land of Canaan, a land that's more than land. It represents the culmination of everything that God had been doing in the life of this nation. And he had said to them very plainly, this is your place of promise. This is where you will inherit goodness. This is where you will finally rest. This This is the horizon that you've been hoping for for these two generations. And so we find the story and they are camped at the very edge of what today we call the land of Israel. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. They're about to cross west and the city of Jericho looms. One of the oldest cities in civilization. One of the oldest cities that's, that's known to man and one of the very earliest walled cities. So not only were they looking across the river at a city where people were not excited about them being there. Because it was a walled city, uh, they, they could get on top of those walls and see this massive migration of Hebrews coming their way. And they were preparing for battle. And so it's that stage where this is the Scripture. After three days, so they'd been there about uh, just across the river, And so the officers went through the camp and they said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant going out before you and the priest carrying it, keep a distance. Check this, because you've never been here before. Months ago, this scripture is laid on my heart. I've never been here before. I've joined a club that some of you are in. And I want to apologize now for the stupid things that I probably said to you because now I've heard them. 
Uh, it's, it's a place I didn't know I was going to go. And, and when the Lord says, keep a respectful distance, keep the holiness, sing the songs, raise your hands, join in worship, get around a community of faith because you've never done this before. No, I haven't. And I pray you never have to. But what I do know is there's hope on the horizon that as God draws me to love him, and then he gives these instructions. He said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do wondrous things among you. Amazing things among you. We don't use the word consecrate very often, do we? Anybody use it in a sentence in the past week or so? Consecrate has, a, has an interesting usage in that we can consecrate something or we can consecrate ourselves. To consecrate something means that we set it apart or we dedicate it. So if you've ever bought a car for a teenager, you've sort of consecrated it in that you went and you bought it and you paid for it and you insured it and then you gave it to them and you will never see the inside of that car again. And, and then there's this, this sense you can consecrate an offering. You can consecrate a building. When we moved into this space in March of 2021, we had a, a dedication ceremony. We had a, a time of consecration that the things that would go in here would always honor God. The things that would happen in here would, would be special, that, that, that people would come back here years after moving away and go, some amazing things happened in that place. But in Romans 12, it also says we can consecrate ourselves. Romans 12, 1 and 2, that says, present your bodies to God, a living sacrifice holy, acceptable, which would be a reasonable or a spiritual service to God, that there is a sense that we can consecrate something or we can consecrate ourselves, but regardless of what that is, it changes ownership. It changes status. What used to be my car is now your car. What used to be my dream is now your dream. What used to be our space is God's space. What used to be my career is now your career. It's a, it's a change in status. And too often we run past this word and go, okay, consecrate, present your bodies, a living sacrifice. No, it is a change of ownership. You've signed over the title. And so when he says to consecrate yourselves, he says whatever it is that you have to give, give it. So we dive into the story, and in chapter 1, verse 1, we have this sense that there's timing involved. Many of you would ask, is it, how, how can I step up? How, how can we help you guys? We, we've heard a lot of that. Uh, at our, uh, we will uh, uh, celebrate my son's life on uh, Saturday in this room at one o'clock. And many of you have asked, how can we help? How can we uh, help your family? Well, we have established a fund for my grandson. By the way, Reed, if you're watching, Papa will see you tomorrow. 
we've established a fund for him and we want to make sure that braces are taken care of and middle school is taken care of and baseball equipment is purchased. And so if you're interested in that, call me or the church office. We'll help you with that. But many of you have asked, what can I do? A group of men came by and and helped us paint a room that we're going to need as a guest room over the next few days when when our guests come into town. Many of you have brought food by. What what can we do? How how can we? When when is it the right time? Well, if you want to know a clear signal that it is the right time for leadership, look at the first verse. Moses was dead. Well, that's a sign that it's time for a new leader. And while that's not the case here at our church, hopefully, with the experience of loss, it, it, it is a, a, a pretty uh, gestalt, an immediate thing that says nothing can be the same. And when the previous leader had gone on, it was clearly time for new leaders to take place. We were going to have an interview uh, this morning, but with all that's gone on, we kind of shelved that idea. But what I was going to ask people, and what I want you to ask yourselves, I was going to ask, what do you see over the horizon for Dunwoody Baptist Church? What is it that you dream about? Particularly those of you who are in emerging generations who who are not yet at at the rudder, but you will be soon. What is it that you see for this, your church? What is it that you dream about? What is it that you want to happen, expect to happen? How do we create an environment that, that, that all generations can come here and understand that the Word is, is sharp and, and active and that God loves us more than we can imagine? I've obviously had all of the feelings of guilt and shame and what could I have done differently. But God has just drawn me to Himself, and that's what I, I think happens here. But the second question I wanted to ask in an interview was, what is it you're going to do to help us get there? Because it's your time. It's it's the the, the previous leadership has, has done the best we could do. But it is time for you to figure out what is it that you are called to do? What is it that you are gifted to do? The people that have brought uh, stuff to our house, that, that was their gift. The people that came over and painted and helped us repair stuff to get a guest room ready, that was their gift. It's our time. It's our place. We, we know that God has called us to this for this instant. And, and, and if you haven't done that little self-evaluation lately, that's what this series is about. How do you love God with all that you are by consecrating your gifts, your talents, your intellect, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? How do you consecrate that to God? Consecrate yourselves. Living sacrifice. So, catching up on the scripture after the death of Moses, servant of the Lord said, Moses is dead. It's time for you to get busy and now lead this wandering group of Israelites into the land of promise. It's, it's your time, it's your place. But I want you to know that those people were camped there and they'd been wandering around for 40 years. They didn't have any possessions. They didn't have a home. Each family had a tent that they set up every time they moved to somewhere else. And now they're looking at this 
walled city. They've heard the report that there are really big people on the other side of the river, giants in the land. And now Joshua and his leaders are passing through the camp saying, it's time, it's showtime, it's your time, it's our time, it's God's time, it's, let's go. And I can't help but think that they're going, how do I do this? Wednesday morning when we found my son, how do I cope with this? How do I put one foot in front of the other? How do I manage this? The challenges are just too great. But a God-sized task requires a God-sized ask. And I have had to, you will have to, we will have to depend on God in ways that we haven't before. Because the challenges are too great. The challenges are enormous. Yes, we have a culture that's not very friendly to Christianity. Yes, all of you that will start school in the next few days. And by the way, I'm praying for you. Because there are, there are things that are going to go on at school that are just, just hard to explain. There are challenges in relationships and in some of the things that you will hear. For us that go to work, for you that carry baggage in your homes, in your relationships, you've lacked confidence at work. There, all of us come in here with something. What, what I come in here with is just a little more out in the open. But we wonder if we have what it takes to face those challenges. Well, God said to the Israelites, why don't you follow my presence? And for them, it was the Ark of the Covenant. It was that, that, that box in the, uh, in the Old Testament where there was a, a copy of the Ten Commandments and the manna and the staff and all that. And it was the presence of God. He said, why don't you follow me? There's nothing that surprises me. When I prepared this message, he already knew about my son. He already knew about whatever you brought in with you. He already knew about your uncertainties or your tragedies or your loss or whatever. He, he already knew. And he already knew what was going to happen on the other side of the river with the Israelites. And he said, follow the ark. Follow the presence because you haven't done this before. Then you will know which way to go. For you've never done this before. Last thing, that hope over the horizon. Believing that our sorrow gives way to tomorrow. Love God for what's over the horizon. Believe God for what's over the horizon. When we, when we saw that amazing sunrise this morning, there, there was the promise of the sun coming up to nourish the plants, to burn your fescue, to do all of the things that, that the sun does when it comes up. There was a promise. There was the orange hue of the morning that was the promise of a sunshine to come. And all that I have experienced through the embrace of my church through the muffins, through all of the things that have come my way. There has been a sense that 
we all believe that there is hope beyond our grief, hope beyond our shame, hope beyond our failures, hope beyond whatever it is. There is hope over the horizon. And that's, that was my heart for this whole series. And then this week comes along, and hope is believing that tomorrow is better. Because God didn't finish even this one little verse without making sure that Joshua knew about that hope. And Joshua was uncertain. If you really look hard, and maybe some of you have already, and you started reading the story and disconnected from me, but in Joshua chapter 1, it's four times said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Three times God said it to him. One time the people said it to him. But I don't know about you, but when my parents had to say something four times, it was because I wasn't getting it. And if Joshua was a little uncertain about his leadership, if he was going, okay, it's time, it's game time. I am now the starting quarterback. How will I be able to perform? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And by the way, tomorrow the Lord will do wondrous things. I had this twisted thing that went on in my brain when I was studying this thing. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So they're going through the camp, and they know they're getting ready for battle. They know that the people in Jericho are looking at this migration coming towards them from the east. They're not going to give it up easily. So it would make sense that Joshua said to the swordsmen, get your swords ready. It would make sure that it makes sense that he said to the, the, the spear people, get your spears ready. Archers, get your bow ready. Shieldsmen, get your shields ready. <laughs> and then he got to the musicians. He said, and by the way, keep your trumpet handy. What? We don't ever know what it is that God is going to call us to employ. All we know is that he has a plan for tomorrow. I have no idea how my experience of this week is going to help people understand that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that we can cast all our cares on him and he cares for us, that we can be anxious for nothing but in prayer and thanksgiving with supplication, let your request be known to God. I, I, I don't know how all of this is going to be employed. All I know is that my experience that I was told months ago to communicate with you and to live myself is that there is hope on the horizon. That we can love God. We can love each other. We can make disciples. And together we can make a difference. And so I kind of have to come back to those same two questions that I was going to ask the interviewers that we didn't have. What do you see is over the horizon at Dunwoody Baptist Church? What little dream, what fist-sized cloud are you able to see that other people aren't seeing just yet? What ministry, what, what, what idea, what mission project, what small group? What is it that God has placed on your heart for this great church 
And the second question is the most important. What is your part in it? Consecrate yourself. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us. Would you pray with me? Almighty Father, we know firsthand that you walk with us in our grief. But you also walk with us in our hopes and our dreams, our our sense of being with others. That what you call us to do is to let our own dreams have a change of title, a change of position, and that your dreams replace our dreams. And all of a sudden we realize that it's so much better. Father, if there's a person here who's going, I don't know what's going on, but I need what this church is modeling. I need this sense of hope that I need to be part of a community of faith where they don't shoot their wounded or kick their broken to the curb. I need to be a part of a story that is so much bigger than me. I need to be able to confess my brokenness to somebody who can forgive me and heal me and point me to a direction where my life has purpose. If that's you, you might pray a prayer something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my sin and my brokenness and my wounds and my uncertainty and my shame and my guilt. I need you to come into my life and forgive me of all of that. And let me live for you in a way that purpose begins to emerge once again. If that's your prayer... You need to see somebody. We have a guest um, service out front that that if you need to see somebody, just stop by that table. They're going to point you to a pastor. Find one of us. Say, I need to have a conversation about Jesus being in my life. If you have a sense of brokenness like I do, know that this is a place where healing happens. As we take communion, we exhibit what it is to remember that Jesus shed his blood and had his body broken so that our sins could be forgiven. Lord, I pray that you'll work a healing in all of us. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.